Welcome, everyone, to our 11th episode of Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly, also known as the Five R's. Uh, I am George Cagle, and with me is Scotty Jinks. Greetings. And we are a couple guys from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas, with some radical reflections after reading Isaiah rightly. Uh, Today... Uh, we are going through Isaiah chapters 21, 22, and 23, which might be too much for us. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, it looked good earlier, and then after we read th- reread through it and studied it, we'll, we'll see what the time says uh, as we go through. Um, but... Uh, Scotty, why don't you start off with uh, just a quick uh, overview of these chapters? What are some things that stood out for you and you know, summarize it and all that good stuff? Sure. So uh, basically, we're still getting the Lord sending these messages to all the neighboring nations. And what we're going to see here, he's going to talk about uh, Babylon. Uh, he's a couple other nations the Lord is going to send. Uh, to attack uh, Babylon. Uh, what we're going to see is uh, treats them, how he looks forward to the future, how he treats uh, Israel. And then we're going to see, uh, essentially, he, he condemns the pursuit of wealth, right? My, my understanding, right. He, uh, 22 is about Jerusalem. Uh, really, the Lord's going to look at them and he's going to say, uh, boy, you guys really tried to do this without me, didn't you? Um, and so those are that out to me was, you know, how often I, uh, like Israel, try to do things without the Lord, don't give him any credit or any consultation. Right. Um, and then how often I love, um, money, the promise of it, uh, all the things that, um, I think I'll have if I have it. And then he even talks about what's going to happen, uh, once he takes away all the wealth of, uh, uh, tire and um, how they're going to run straight back to it. Very good. I, I don't really have anything to add to that. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's do this. So we have first up Isaiah 21 or, uh, or, you know, as you know, it's the, the Jimi Hendrix uh, chapter <laughs> from all along the watchtower. Um, or I guess Bob Dylan, we'll give Bob Dylan credit, but. I like Jimi Hendrix better. <laughs> sure. Um, as, as we'll see uh, as, as we go through. But uh, so this is right. An Oracle about Babylon. And I thought, you know, it was interesting starting off with, you know, the Oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea and right. Babylon is not a wilderness, at least not at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not, you know, next to the ocean, right? So it's kind of like, why would Babylon be called this? You know, the wilderness of the sea. And from my uh, study at it, it's kind of just, you know, basically when God's done with it, it won't be able to sustain life, just like a desert or or a sea. It's going to be a complete and total destruction of uh, Babylon and its people. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, continuing the, the theme Isaiah has of how uh, all these big cities, all the things that men make for themselves is eventually going to be inherited by jackals and ostriches, whatever, whatever else he can think of, you know, they're, they're all going to inherit it. Um, and none of it lasts. So he talks here about uh, whirlwinds on the Negeb, uh sweeping mm-hmm. on. Um, and I thought it was interesting. So it looks like south of Israel, uh, they have uh, an area for really bad storms, really bad winds. Um, and uh, when I was reading, they, they said that, um, you know, ideally this is where Job encountered the whirlwind that the Lord spoke to him through. And so here the Lord is speaking, you know, instead of to Job, um, he's giving a very similar message, but he's giving it to the nation of Babylon, right? Mm-hmm. Is, uh, these are metaphorical whirlwinds from the, from the wilderness. Now they're in the city, right? Yeah, and then uh, right and then goes on in verse 2, and it specifically says, who's going to destroy Babylon, right? Go up, O Elam, lay siege, O Media. You know, uh, Elam was a major region of Persia. Uh, and then, you know, and it's it's the Medes of Media and Persia that conquer Babylon, right? And mm-hmm. uh, was it 539 uh, B.C.? So, you know, uh, 150 some odd years after this prophecy, and it's already saying these are the people who are going to do it. And then and then also in verse two, it says all the signs she has caused, I bring to an end. And, you know, referring to how Babylon has caused or, or by, you know, I guess with Isaiah, you know, will cause um, <laughs> just all this suffering throughout the world not just the people of israel but all these nations that babylon conquers and oppresses and and destroys and murders and uh and god's like i'm bringing this to an end now right using uh the medes and persians to do it right he says uh popcorn elam uh popcorn uh media right (laughs) he's uh uh calling them by name uh, earlier you know in a couple spots he didn't name uh, who was actually going to be the destroyers uh sometimes he would give us a direction but here um there's no ambiguity here um but he's uh he's he's punishing babylon uh for a specific reason right so as we uh look through how um this this oracle that Isaiah is giving him, um, he talks about, uh, if it's all right, I'd like to skip to verse five and say, um, okay. basically they're, they're sitting around, right? He says, they prepare the table, spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. Arise, O princes, oil the shield. Uh, basically, they're eating and drinking. They're have, having a party, right? Uh, like it's somebody's birthday when they're about to be attacked. You see, they're, they're comfortable where they are. Uh, they don't believe anybody uh, could attack them. And in their pride, they're just not ready. Right. I mean, that's even, uh, 
and and that's actually a prophecy that that came true right we know from historical fact that babylon was felt that they were safe inside their walls they had a party even in, in and it talks about this same party in daniel 5 where belt or uh oh shoot what's the king of babylon's name start with a b it's not belshazzar that's a wise man uh <laughs> Uh, it's Daniel five. It's Daniel yeah, yeah. five. I know that. It's, well, are uh, you thinking of Nebuchadnezzar? No. Oh, it is Belshazzar. Belshazzar. B l s a z z a r. Balthazar is the guy you were thinking of. That's the wise man. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. All right. So Belshazzar, right in Daniel five, has a party. And, uh, and, you know, then there's, there's that story with the hand on the wall Mm -hmm. and the writing on the wall. Superstitious writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is our, yeah, musical episode, uh, today, but so, but it's, you know, it's during that time, that party and everything. and, And we know from historical account that the Persians divert the river uh that you know flows through babylon and then sneaks under the the walls where the river Mm once was yeah the canal and they sneak on in they come in and kill everybody that was and and the people of babylon were basically all drunk and incapable of defending themselves so this is actually a prophecy again that came true and uh, I know you jumped to verse five, but I'm going to jump back real quick to three and four because mm-hmm. this again reminds me of last week when, um, or maybe it was two weeks ago, when Isaiah, yeah, it was two weeks ago, when Isaiah was talking about Moab and the judgment on Moab and how, you know, he did not rejoice in that judgment. And here again, Isaiah and, you know, therefore God, uh, right, are not rejoicing in this judgment on babylon right it for isaiah certainly it is it is painful for him to watch right he's even right he even is in verse five he's almost yeah like almost like he's yelling hey prepare for battle what are you doing you know arise (laughs) but uh but again you know that that harkens back to you know how do we do we rejoice uh, in, in people's judgments, or are we even just indifferent to the fact that uh, people are going to spend eternity in hell, you know, uh, or are we motivated like Isaiah, you know, to, or are we moved to uh, tears and, 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 and just uh, heartache for these people, you know, and, the, and, you know, are we moved to, uh, to action because of it? Well, I I pray it's the second one. Yes. Yes. And if not, you can always change. You're not dead yet. Uh, verse, and then of course, verse six is the beginning of All Along the Watchtower, uh, the classic rock song. Mm-hmm. Um, but, right. the So there's a there's watchtower, people are are you know watching and then there's uh the horsemen come right and they 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 cry out fallen fallen is babylon 
which of course, right, all of a sudden makes me think of Revelation fourteen eight. In in when in the in the end of time, right, the, the Babylon falls, and this is a re- that's a reference right to the the kingdoms of man, which is what Babylon right throughout much of uh, the Bible also kind of refers to right it's like a metaphor for just the kingdom of man and i wouldn't think that you know this instant right doesn't have a double meaning also uh so this whole like ghost at a watchman thing right um Mm -hmm. so basically he wants to say that he is um uh, that Isaiah himself is the watchman, right? Now, uh, the watchman being Isaiah, right? He, he's supposed to tell them what he sees, right? So they're they're sitting, they're having a good time. They don't know anybody's uh, attacking, right? And so then he sees these two horsemen, right? Uh, he sees riders in pairs. Um, and they said, uh, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, uh, all the carved images of her gods, he shouted to the ground, and he says, Oh, my thresh and winnowed one, that I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. Um, the, the image of like a threshing floor where grain is like separated, where it's um, mm-hmm. sort of uh, smashed. Uh, he's really trying to say that Babylon is being worked on, right? As if it's like a... a a resource and he is trying to ready this resource for use. Is that, is that what you found as well, George? Uh, so for verse 10 where it's, Oh, my threshed and winnowed one. I took this as Judah or as Israel. They are the ones that are threshed and winnowed, right? Babylon is the tool of that threshing. Uh, and wrath but in the end right verse 10 you know there is a remnant right israel will still remain babylon won't um so i think for verse 10 it's a message of hope for judah being the oppressed people um but again uh, a, uh, a word of judgment on babylon Good word. So where do we go from here? We're going to talk about Duma. Duma. So here's, uh, so I did a little bit of research, you know, I want to give a little shout out to Bible Hub. Um, (laughs) And so the word Adam or Adam, A-D-U-M, Right is kind of a, a another word or, or another way to pronounce uh, Edom, which is a neighbor of Israel, Edom, um, and that this actually verse eleven where it says the oracle concerning Duma is actually kind of a, a little artistic play on words. Uh, Isaiah takes the A and puts it at the end, so. 
Adum becomes Duma. And Duma actually means stillness and death. Hmm. In this case, um, again, sort of like the whole wilderness by the sea uh, earlier in the chapter. Again, is kind of a uh, little, I guess you could say, uh, uh, play on words, but kind of making making the reader stop and think and uh, again a, a, pronoun- a pronouncement of judgment on this group uh, we do know it is Edom you know right. uh, because also in verse 11 one is calling to me from Seir which is an Edomite city all right so I saw um, Bible Hub told me that uh, Duma meant silence um, but he says specifically the silence of the grave so we're, yeah. uh, the, you know, it's always hard. Uh, people do word studies uh, differently. And then um, what I'm, the whole reason I'm telling you, it's a commentary that actually called it silence. Um, but uh, it was really interesting. I didn't catch that uh, Duma is sort of like pig Latin for Edom. Yeah, um, pretty much. Right? I mean, I, I, I read, you know, based on the direction where it is, that that is who we're talking about. Um, but honestly, uh, so Edom, uh, these are the descendants of, uh, Esau. Esau. is that right? Yep. Jacob's brother. Uh, yep. Edom, um, meaning red, uh, it, because Esau was covered in red hair, right? Um, so when he says, you know, he's, they're asking what the watchman, they're asking the watchman how long their persecution is going to last. Right, he says, mm-hmm. "What time of the night? What time of the night?" And so the watchman Isaiah tells him, "Morning comes, comma, and also the night." He says, "Listen, uh, you are close to having a little bit of relief to it." He says that a night is about to come again. He says, uh, uh, and he welcomes them to ask again, uh, essentially saying that this is going to be a cycle they're going to suffer through for a long time. They're going to be oppressed. They're going to enjoy a little bit of freedom and they're going to be oppressed again. Um, and of course that sounds, sounds a lot like uh, the Israelites, right? Right. Right. And yeah, for, for this little section. Uh, yeah. And in, in verse 12, when Isaiah says, if you will inquire, inquire, come back again. This is kind of a um, a declaration, or, or or you could say an encouragement to the Edomites to look, keep looking for a sure deliverance, right? Keep looking uh, for the deliverance that is permanent and perfect and sure, and of course that is found in Christ, right? That's found in. Uh, repentance and uh, following God, right? Humbling yourself before him. Then we have, right, 13, really through 17, is now an oracle concerning Arabia. Uh, There is, right, a reference to a few different tribes, Arabian tribes, Um. For example, uh, Kedar, I assume that's how you pronounce it, K-E-D-A-R, 
uh, in verses 16 and 17. Uh, that's an Arabian tribe that uh, is supposedly descended from Ishmael, the son of Abraham. You know, verse, verses 13 through 17 seem to be kind of a, a declaration that, um, you know, you can't flee from God, right? You can't, if, if God has judgment on you, you're not going to escape, right? You can't, right? So like verse 14, to the thirsty bring water, meet the fugitive with bread. Uh, verse 15, for they have fled from the swords, from the drawn bow, or excuse me, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the press of battle, right? There's just this description of, of people fleeing from, you know, what basically amounts to God's judgment. But, right, in the end, uh, you still are not going to escape it, right? God himself is actually the one who can offer you a sure deliverance. He's the only one you can depend on. Um, and if he's judging you, then you need to flee actually to him instead of fleeing from him. Absolutely. Yeah, want to add to Arabia? Well, uh, just that, you know, uh, when I think of Arabian horses, right? Arabian horses. Uh, yeah. or when I think of the word Arabian, is probably a better way to say it. But the whole uh, reason I bring it up is, you know, you talked about running and you're talking about nomads, right? Um, and so uh, what better way to – it's almost like a contrast with uh, Chapter 23, right? Because 23 is about some people – um, who are rich a lot. And then uh, the uh, Arabians are actually, uh, they're, they're moving. You know? So instead of being um, settled in a place where they're proud and God is going to destroy that place, you know, he's, um, he takes the nomads, he takes out the nomads first, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But um, we're. Uh, but I think that's all we've all I've got for the Arabians. All right. Well, let's look at chapter twenty-two now, because I can only imagine that, you know, from the last few chapters, uh, the people of Jerusalem are there going, "Oh yeah, good, yeah, judgment on Assyria, judgment on Egypt, judgment on Babylon, yeah, judgment on Moab." I can get behind all that. And now chapter 22 comes around and God's like, all right, now it's your turn. Right? And again, this is chapter 22 is, is, is I would have to say the judgment is the worst because these are the people, I mean, first off, they're no better than the Gentile nations and yet the problem is they should have known better, mm-hmm. right? The, they are the ones that are supposed to be God's chosen people that are supposed to be blessed and then turn and be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that's just not the case, um, right? Verse or verse one of chapter 22, he calls uh, Jerusalem the Valley of Vision, right? Vision, meaning they had the revelation of God, right? They had the law and the prophets, they had the knowledge. They had what they needed to 
serve God and bless the world. And yet here they are worshiping the gods of other peoples, other countries. Um, and, and right. Verse one and verse two, they, there's all this drunken partying, just like with Babylon, right? Shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town. They're, they're partying and their punishment in verse two is you're slain are not going to be slain with a sword or dead in battle, right? Implying that everybody's going to starve or they're going to die from disease during the siege that will come of Jerusalem. And in verse three, all your leaders have fled together without the bow. They were captured. All of you who were found were captured though. They had fled far away. And this is second Kings, uh, 25 where you know the king of um of judah and his entourage his people right they sneak out and flee the city kind of try to abandon you know the city uh to its fate and of course they'll get captured also but um because as you just mentioned as you just mentioned you can't run from god but um, I think this brings back a, a, one of the main themes we've seen in Isaiah, which is um, th- that of uh, manhood and leadership. Um, so uh, George uh, introduced me to uh, Raising a Modern Day Knight. Uh, we watched a series uh, on it, and, and really their definition for manhood, uh, of course, Raising a Modern Day Knight is not a sponsor. Uh, they could be, you know, if mm-hmm. they give us a call. But for right now, uh, <laughs> it's just a resource we want to point you guys to. And, They define manhood as this. They said, accepting responsibility and rejecting passivity, right? Now, I think boiling it down that far has been really helpful because thinking about uh, the fall, what he ought to have done, what he chose to do, and how the Lord has cursed men and women to operate together uh, means that men uh, wake up in the morning ready to be passive, uh, knowing that God created them to be the other way. He created them to be active and responsible. Mm. And, uh, and so for us, you know, that constant reminder of like, hey, we need to accept responsibility. We need to look at passivity and we need to, uh, it needs to gross us out, right? And so we see here, uh, to a degree, you know, the whole nation has been, has accepted passivity. Um, but especially the leaders fleeing uh, to get caught, you know, and instead of standing up for the people they represent, they're thinking about themselves. They're it, it, honestly the same way that Babylon was surprised to get attacked uh, or Babylon, uh, I think in context will be surprised to get attacked. Now we have uh, Israel uh, more or less in the same spot, right? Uh, like you mentioned that they ought, they know better. They ought to know better. And here they are, caught in the same place like when somebody uh talks about Babylon, you generally know it's terrible. and so if somebody talks about babylon doing something and then you doing the same thing you know the yeah. the implication there is like man you really made a mess of this you know this he calls them a tumultuous city in the um esv anyway and, and i just can't 
uh, can't help but see what we've seen over and over again, which is men not acting the way God designed them to act, but in basically embracing the fall and saying, listen, this, this has got to be somebody, right? Somebody else is going to lead them uh, while I, you know, take the back door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, a, a, an example of, yeah, a society that has rejected God, right? The men are not being men. Um, so, right, verse 4, Isaiah, you know, becomes overwhelmed with grief for his people. 150 years actually before the destruction of uh, Jerusalem by Babylon, right? Uh, nevertheless, you know, I, the application here for verse four, you know, is, you know, just the question, do I grieve when the church suffers? You know, when um, God's people suffer, whether it's from persecution or if it's even from something like uh, a minister who is disgraced. You know, or uh, you know, or you know, just division in a body of believers. You know, do I look at it as like, well, that's what he gets, or you know, or or even again, just with like uh, uh, without emotion, or do I grieve over it and 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 pray for the church when when they suffer, uh, even if it is you know. Again, something maybe that these Christians deserved. It's God's judgment on them. Yeah, very convicting question. Uh, it's very easy to look at um, the, the way the world around us works and those who proclaim Christ uh, typically do it in a way that is lacking um, emotion, a way that is lacking affections, and just says, you know, you see someone uh, wandering around in sin, and then they get what they uh, they get what they they reap what they sow. Yeah. And then and then what do you what do you find? You know, the uh, the bulk area of believers like what do you find their responses to be? At least on social media, you find them saying, you know, well, they got what was coming. You know, you. Um, act this way, you get this thing. And uh, as if the fact that they didn't follow um, is something anybody uh, could and would do. And it's important to see that, you know, if our goal is not to, to just live in a biblical way, but our goal is to actually emulate uh, Christ, to see the personality of the Godhead and say, this is who I want to be. How does he feel? Um, and honestly, reading this, reading this chapter, uh, George, I'm, I'm not sure I, I picked up on, um, his, his heart for them, um, as well as I'm seeing it now talking to you, it mm-hmm. is really, um, it's really something to, to find that, um, ever since that Oracle against Moab, where, where the Lord expresses his like dissatisfaction that he's having to punish them. Um, it, it sounds like he's just sharing with us 
a, a part of his uh, heart that we don't often get to see in Old Testament pronouncements of judgment. Um, but boy, am I glad it's there. Right. I mean, a lot of people look at the Old Testament, and they're like, oh, God is a God of judgment, you know, and wrath. And it's, yes, that is true, because he's just. He would not be God. He would not be worthy of, of worship or praise if he let evil get away with it all the time. Uh, and it's the same thing in the New Testament. He doesn't let evil get away with it, you know, except that he, I mean, all all evil gets punished, whether the evil people themselves get punished or you know is it jesus that takes the punishment that that we deserve but punishment happens right and either way yeah i believe god it 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 grieves god to do it but at the same time he's like this i can't let this you know go unpunished um and then verse right and, and so verse Five through eight is, again, just a, a declaration of um, the destruction that will happen. And but I think verse eight is kind of the key verse in this little section, five through eight. It's, it says, he has taken away the covering of Judah. And right, all this time throughout Israel's history, God has protected them. There's been a divine protection uh, where, where God has always watched over them, always helped them out. I mean, Israel, honestly, should never have made it as a country, right? They didn't have, right, they were slaves in Egypt with no hope. They were, you know, even there, there was no way they should have been able to conquer Canaan. There was no way they should have beaten the Philistines. The Philistines had metal and the Israelites didn't, you know, uh, all these other nations that came in had much more powerful armies, but Israel won all these battles because it was God. And this is again, right. What is God's judgment? Ultimately, it's him taking away the blessings that we don't deserve that he lavished on us anyway. Okay. So uh, then he's going to go on to talk about how they they rebuilt the city, right? Mm-hmm. They saw that the city uh, was in uh, need of fortifying. And so they collected uh, water uh, from the lower pool and counted the houses of Jerusalem, broke down the houses to fortify the wall. So we're talking um, sacrifice, right? In order to strengthen the city. Says you made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to him who did it, or see him who planned it long ago. Mm-hmm. And so, how how sinking of a feeling you get when you have a problem and you're wrestling with this problem for for a while, and you talk to someone about it, and they say the dreaded you know dropping the bomb on you of saying, "Have you prayed about that?" <laughs> right and you say no i've been in for as long as i can remember about this decision i have to make or this uh this regret i'm carrying around and i have not it has not crossed my mind to you know to, to see what the lord uh thinks and feels about it um and that's you know they're right they they know they're in need of protection 
And so they, you know, roll up their sleeves and uh, try to do it themselves. Um, I read a quote this week. Uh, somebody shared on Instagram a quote from C.S. Lewis that said, if you, they said the sweetest things in life, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but um, I'm sure C.S. Lewis would forgive me. He said the, the sweetest things in life um, uh, come from someone else. And um, he talks about divine providence and says, uh, the things that you grab, uh, you regret, but the things you receive, you enjoy forever. Um, and that really seems to, you know, put in capsule um, what this, this verse is saying, that they don't care about the career. They don't care about how well he's taking care of them. Um, taking away that protection, all they care about is how to fix it. Um, what they can do by themselves uh, again, to make things the way they were. Very good. Yeah. Uh, so in verse 12, uh, we have, again, this, this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 1. Right. It says, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And, you know, God wants us to take our sins seriously. Right. He wants us to grieve over them. As, as shown in verse 12. And he gives us the chance to repent so many times over, right? And here, here's this chance. God is, that people could have repented, right? It reminds me of uh, Isaiah 1.18, where God spends much of the first chapter in Isaiah, you know, bringing the case against Israel and then goes, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. You know, God has given them a chance. They, they, the people of, of Israel already know from Isaiah what God thinks of what they've been doing. And yet, right, verse, th verse 13, there is a complete lack of repentance. They're doing the exact opposite. And they even mock repentance. Right. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is materialism, right? Living for the here and now, like there is no God for or hereafter. And this reminds me of Matthew twelve thirty one, where you know Jesus teaches about you know the unforgivable sin, in which you blaspheme the urges of the spirit to turn from sin, right? There is no actual sin that God won't forgive you if you turn to Christ. But if you resist the urgings of the Holy Spirit, then there is no sin that you won't be forgiven of. And that's what these people are doing, right? They are refusing to repent. They know what God wants of them. And they're like, no, we're going to do this instead. So uh, I used to work with somebody who said um, they were uh, living with someone that they weren't married to, 
and they didn't not necessarily uh, planning on uh, getting married um, and because of like cultural Christianity you know they knew what was what was expected and what they you know what they weren't doing and at some point uh, they made the joke about um, how they were living in sin and uh, followed by laughter and I remember being like sort of taken aback and just saying like well you know you actually are living in sin so where's the joke you know the idea knew um they ought to feel uh they knew they ought to feel like they're you know god's plan um by not committing to each other and uh, instead of instead of actually feeling that way they make fun of the idea that they would uh, attach that um importance to that old fashioned notion. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and that's kind of what I'm hearing here is that um, they're joking about the idea that, you know, their grandparents, their ancestors, whoever would have um, felt a different way uh, about what they're doing as if they've grown past it. Mm-hmm. And then verse 14, I mean, what a a terrifying judgment, right? Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for you until you die, right? Any sacrifices they make are not going to cover their sin, right? God is, you know, God has clearly given his thoughts about this party. Um, And, I, you know, Again, their their sin is not atoned for, right? They're going to have to die for their sins. And again, that's just a scary uh, thought, and and it's something that we all we all deserve to have happen to us. Um, but again, just makes us you know grateful that God does still. Even now, you know, even then for these people and even now for us, right? God offers grace and and forgiveness. All we have to do is ask him to save us. Right. So it's it's interesting to see like the place of mourning in the life of a Christian. Um, There are certain traditions where mourning is like, is a good thing where people... um, hope to gain something by how, how sad they can be. And, uh, but for us, we usually go the opposite direction, right? We would usually say um, that we don't have to feel that way because uh, once we uh, confess our sins, um, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and it cleanses from all unrighteousness, uh, 1 John 1, 1.9. And then after that point, uh, we no longer are carrying it around. Right, there may be some consequences from our sin. Let's say we uh, uh, sin against a person; they may not want to hang out with us anymore. Right? There's, uh, but the idea of mourning is kind of foreign. Um, we we kind of look at it as um, shame, right? That uh, you sin, uh, and then you have a certain amount of shame. Uh, but we also uh, don't believe shame to be a good thing. And so here we're kind of seeing that we just we don't want to be so uh, 
confident in our place with that we no longer become sad at, at our own sin. You know, the same, the same sort of feelings we talked about when other people are sinning, when they're uh, punished, uh, the, the same way that the Lord feels bad for uh, people who are going through it, even though he's the one who initiated them going through it uh, because it's for their good. Um, the, those same kind of feelings we should have um, for, for ourselves to a degree that when we're in um, sin, uh, when we come out of that sin, um, we still want this uh, weeping, mourning, baldness, and wearing of sackcloth. Uh, ideally, not literally. Um, no one's going to know what you're doing. Um, but in, in some way, uh, approaching it with sobriety, I guess, and saying, you know, this led me out of. This is, this is the folly that I have been following. And uh, it, it isn't something I often, probably isn't something I do very well. Um, usually, um, I would be the guy, you know, like, like the verse says, who's um, uh, as, as, the, as soon as the confession has been made, you know, as soon as I ask for forgiveness, I'm, you know, out the door doing this thing. Well, now, so uh, the last part of chapter 22 refers to two guys, right? Shebna and Eliakim. And, you know, basically write a voice or a word of uh, judgment on, on Shebna, who has kind of used his position right in the courts to kind of help himself out selfishly. And God's like, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to replace you with Eliakim, who will right, uh, be just in his execution of his office and his duties. Um, I do believe that this kind of points to points to Jesus, who's the greater Eliakim who, right, is, you know, Jesus himself is, is set up by God at the right hand of the Father, just as Eliakim is going to be set up by God at kind of the right hand of the king. Um, and he is, again, right, going to uh, rule justly. Um, I think one big difference, though, right, is in verse uh, 24 and 25, Right. Basically, they, verses 24 and 25 seem to imply that men are going to try and glorify Eliakim. And Eliakim might, or it looks like he's going to actually kind of accept a lot of their praise. And that's when he also is going to end up being uh, humbled uh, eventually also. So, you know, I guess moral of the story is uh, if you're in a leadership position, don't be all about yourself be about serving and helping others and uh, don't take don't be taking too much credit for yourself on any of your successes right again it's by God's blessing that you uh, are successful every good and perfect gift comes from him and then even here in this story right there's a whole bunch of I wills right God will um, 
remove Shibna and set up Eliakim. So from there, we have chapter 23. Um, I don't have a whole lot for chapter 23, Sky, so I'm probably going to have you take point on this one. Um, sure. But, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so he, he talks about Tyre, right? The ships of Tarshish. And so anytime you read in scripture about these, you know, uh, ships, uh, when Solomon uh, needed to move, like, the cedars of Lebanon and, and whatnot, you know, he's typically using ships coming out of um, Tarshish, right? So when he's um, essentially saying, uh, woe to them, he, he tells them to wail, um, even though they're connected to the whole world, right? He says, on many waters, your revenue was the grain of Shehor, the harvest of the Nile, of the nations. I mean, so they can get anywhere, they can get anything, um, and, and it's made them filthy, stinking rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, uh, basically, he wants them to be ashamed. He says, um, is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old? Uh, this is verse 7. Whose fleet carried her to settle far away? This against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were honored, uh, were the honored of the earth. Uh, so think about like successful businessmen. Uh, you know, you're, uh, we have those uh, today. Elon Musk was just on SNL. Um, and mm-hmm. verse nine continues, the Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Um, basically, uh, verse 12, you will no more exult. Uh, o oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon, uh, arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. Uh, all this money that they've been uh, stacking up is not going anywhere. Um, but what is he actually uh, threatening them with? Uh, when, you, when you look through it, um, he says here, uh, Assyria for wild beasts, right? They erected their siege towers. They stripped their places bare. They made them a ruin, made her a ruin. Uh, and then verse 15, he, he brings it down and says, in that day, Tyre uh, will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of the 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song. Well, let's skip that part. Uh, he says, at the end of 70 years, we'll visit Tyre. And she will return to her wages, uh, and everything will go great, uh, is what you would expect it to say. But instead, he says, and <laughs> she will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Uh, but remember how we've talked about how everything the nations are stacking up for themselves, everything they're hoarding is eventually going to go to the animals, is eventually going to go to somebody else. Um, well, say, you know, a special treat because he says, verse 18, her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. Uh, that's, uh, George, that's you and me. Uh, the the sinful world is uh, churning and, and creating and selling. Um, uh, and all this earning... Um, in, at least in this case, um, is eventually going to fall back on the people of God. 
Right, we shall inherit the earth in the new uh, in the new heavens and the new and the new earth. That's right. You be the owl, and I'll be the ostrich, and we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll inhabit these be the uh, wild cities. One minute. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I mean, right. So many people, and and so many Christians, right? We put our pride and value and and confidence in. Uh, economic system whether or whether it be capitalism or 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 socialism or just money in general or the stock market right um and that's all gonna come you know in the end it's it's all gonna amount to nothing um yeah with verse 11 right it, it says god has shaking the kingdoms right when tyre falls it's going to affect all the other nations because they've all come to depend on tyre as an important trade city um and it's again it's right it's what do you place your value in is it money is it the economy uh or is it the lord and and i and i agree i like how verse 18 kind of ends with um right that the, the lord is king of the whole world. So he's going to judge all creation and all peoples and, and, um, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth where all this, uh, stuff will belong to the Lord and to his people, which really transitions us to chapter 24. Right. Uh, which we'll get to next week. Yeah. Yeah, Don't spoil Uh, it for me. (laughs) Well, basically, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, right? All this, all these, these previous chapters, you know, these last 10 chapters or so, really more than, you know, really like 14 or so chapters have been about uh, judgments on specific nations. Uh, with chapter 24 through 27, we're going to be in this new section in which it's going to be a judgment and redemption on the entire world as a whole. Um, so it's going to be good times, right? Um <laughs> But anyway, uh, before we wrap it up, let's uh, let's let's do application. Let's review some application again, real quick. Uh, if you don't mind, Scotty, I'll I'll go first. Um, sure. Well, you always first, catch me off guard with the old application. I don't know why I can. I yes. never can. Right. Uh, we do that every week. <laughs> uh, well, I'll give you a chance to think about it. Um, so first off, with uh, obviously, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have never asked the Lord to save you from your sins, I encourage you to do so, right? God calls for us to take our sins seriously and to repent of them. And even if you are a Christian, uh, take your sins seriously. It is still uh, something that Christ had to die over so that you can be saved. You need to be pursuing uh, holiness, and that starts with understanding the depths of your sin. Um, also, uh, right, it's it's so important not to uh, to to avoid the making idols of money in the economy, or making idols of uh, your nation's power and military and and, and everything um, as. Uh, as the Israelites did. I think those are the big ones, um, you know, that I have here, right? 
Um, when God reveals a sin to you, make sure you repent of it and, and, and pray and, and, and work with God and the Holy Spirit to remove that sin from your life. That's right. Uh, I would say, you know, for uh, everyone, uh, but particularly also for men uh, and even more particularly for men in, in leadership um, to uh, reject passivity and accept responsibility um, is huge. You know, what, what would um, Babylon have looked like? What would Israel have looked like? Um, what would Tyre have looked like if the, uh, if the people who are in charge, uh, instead of uh, indulging themselves, if they had been looking out for each other? Um, you know, you, uh, George, you just um, talked about um, the, the Lord and his, his sacrifice for us and, um, and encouraging people who haven't accepted to accept. And, and I think he also, you know, the Lord revealing his heart in, in these chapters, um, you know, we need to look outside of our and, mm. and find someone to weep over. Uh, find someone, um, it, it shouldn't take very long. Uh, we just spend all of our time uh, eating and drinking. <laughs> uh, mm. And so we miss the people who are next to us every day. Um, uh, and instead of uh, being sad that, that they aren't a part of God's family and making efforts uh, for them to be introduced to him, um, I know myself, um, if, some, if I try to share the gospel with somebody in it, uh, 10 years ago, I still think, you know, oh, well, you know, that's, that's done. We're closed. Um, but especially mm-hmm. with lifelong relationships like family members, like, that can't be the case. Um, and so it, it's just convicting for me to, to see, uh, how much the Lord wants people to come to him and to see how little, um, I, you know, how little practical level, um, I'm, uh, begging people to, to, to come to him. Um, and again, we're not talking about, uh, practical, uh, steps, but more so uh, a practical um, emotion. So it's just to ask yourself the question, um, uh, who can, uh, who can I ask the Lord uh, to bring to himself? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Scott. That's the that's the application. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Right, it's so important that we uh, that our heart breaks for the people who don't know the Lord, as well as the people who do know the Lord and are still living in sin and are not growing, or you know, or are being judged by the Lord. Right, that we that we grieve for them too and pray for them. Um, yeah, right, Scotty, you and I have noticed more and more as we go through Isaiah, and it's going to get even more so, right, that it's uh, Isaiah is very pro-evangelism um, and, and, and sharing the gospel with, uh, with others. But all right, that is it for this evening.
So again, this is uh, George Cagle and Scotty Jinks signing off from Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly, also known as the Five R's. Have a good night. <laughs>